And what an exciting journey it has been. And I'm so grateful uh, for Brett and Jen sharing that with us. It's a faith story of uh, prayer and love and openness and service. And it's a story about what uh, your life looks like and can look like when it all comes together for God's glory. And it's a story that's just uh, unfolding day after day as we go all in, all in. It's the biggest series uh, that we've done in the history of our church, all in. It's your leadership's best effort to discern the good works uh, where God wants us to walk in for the future of our congregation, all in. Uh, My faith, our church, the world. My faith, all in, is about deepening our dependence and trust and leaning on God more and more and more. Our church... All In is about uh, making room for life change and creating irresistible ministry space so that our community can meet our irresistible God and then the world. All In is about going all out into our local community and across our borders. And so for the next two years, uh, we're focusing all of our giving here at Windsor Road into one fund. And this single fund uh, includes our regular operating budget, campus improvements, and significant local and global outreach. Uh, Our goal is to grow our culture of generosity here at Windsor Road and raise over the next two years, 2014 and 2015, $4.5 million, which will be approximately $2 million more than what our giving has been uh, over a typical two-year period. And my prayer is that 100% of us here at Windsor Road will participate in this initiative. And we have made uh, booklets available. We've got more in your seat here this morning. If you haven't had a chance uh, to pick one up and uh, take a look at it because it kind of tells our story of all in here. And we've also got these commitment cards uh, because in a few weeks I'm going to be challenging our church family um, to make a commitment over 2014 and 2015 uh, about going all in. And if you'll mark your calendar for these two dates, November the 5th, November the 5th, a week from Tuesday, is an an advanced commitment night. And we're going to be gathering here. Uh, All of you are invited from 6.30 till 8 o'clock for a time of worship and prayer. And uh, for those of you who are prepared uh, ahead of time, you can turn your commitment card in there. And uh, we're actually going to be doing a kind of a dress rehearsal for November the 17th, which will be our commitment Sunday. But uh, So November 5th, Advanced Commitment Night, and then November 17th will be Commitment Sunday. It's going to be a life-changing Sunday in our church. And we've been hosting informational meetings uh, since August, and uh, we're going to be having another luncheon here at the church uh, Tuesday at noon. And if you can come, if you'll just let us know on your registration card, we'd appreciate that. Or if you'd like more information one-on-one, I'd be happy to sit down and visit with you or Jason Weatherholt, our family life minister, or one of our elders. Uh, I'll be meeting with one of our small groups uh, Tuesday night and be happy to uh, connect with you in that way as well. So um, uh, we just want to make sure you're fully informed about what's happening in this exciting season of our church. Uh, I want to give you some more pictures about what's going, uh, about what going all in for God looks like. Um, 
Take a look at these pictures that took place last Sunday night at uh, the Stevens Family Y, just about a mile from here. We had uh, 19 baptisms there at the Y and at the pool there. The Y was gracious enough to uh, allow us to use their facilities for this, and it was just an exciting night. 19 baptisms, that's the most baptisms we've ever had in one Sunday in the history of our church. And so it was just really an exciting time. We had time for baptisms. Baptisms, and then we had a family swim, and we had uh, pizza all around, and it was just a good, just a good, good night. And you know what? We sang the doxology uh, in, do you know what the doxology sounds like in that pool? I mean, it is incredible. It is the reverb and the echo, and uh, it was just, uh, it was just absolutely fantastic. And you can, uh, uh, for those of you who were baptized, um, you can pick up your baptismal certificate. Certificates. They're right out there uh, at the pillar along with your picture. And uh, so I'd like you to uh, get those uh, before you leave our services. So it was just a, it was just a God-glorifying night. Um, and church, listen, our greatest gift to our community is glorifying God. That's our greatest gift. Our greatest gift to uh, our town Our towns is helping people see the beauty and the splendor and the power and the glory of God. It really is. I mean, what what else do we have to what else do we have to contribute to our community? We don't make widgets. We don't grant degrees. So, you know, what is our contribution to our community? And it's this: it is that we help people pay attention to. To ultimate reality. We help people pay attention to who is ultimately real. And that is God and his glory and his supremacy. And so so that leads me to our scripture for today. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. The New Testament book of 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 7 through 11. You'll find that on page 1016 of your church Bibles. If you don't have a copy of uh, God's Word to call your own, please take that uh, copy of the Bible in in the pouch in front of you and just put your name in it, take it home, receive it as a gift from our church. And the Apostle Peter talks about our ministry to our community, our ministry of making much. Of God. Here we go. First Peter chapter four, verse seven begins with the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self controlled and sober minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word. 
Well, these verses were written to Christians who lived 2,000 years ago, not in the peaceful prairie land of Champaign County, but in the hostile Roman Empire where persecution broke out against God's people. And these verses deal with the question, how does God want us to live in a world where uh, that world is hostile to our faith? How does God want us to conduct ourselves when our world treats us like a strange and eerie lot? What's our contribution then? What's our ministry then? And the answer is right in our verses. Did you see it? Our ministry is about, our ministry is a ministry of magnification. Our ministry is about magnifying the beauty and splendor and glory and dominion of God. That's what our ministry is about, a ministry of magnification. Now, you know, there's two different types of magnification, right? There is microscopic magnification. Microscopic magnification takes place when we magnify that which is really, really small to make it look really, really big. That's not what Peter is talking about here. Peter is talking not about microscopic magnification, but telescopic magnification. Telescopic magnification takes place when when that magnification clarifies that which is already great and large and awesome. And that's what Peter is talking about in these verses. As we magnify, clarify the greatness and beauty and splendor of God. And as we look at these verses, we learn that this happens in four ways. It happens, we magnify God's beauty and glory and power as we pray clearly, love earnestly, welcome cheerfully, and serve selflessly. There it is. Praying, loving, welcoming, serving. And church, there's nothing mystical about this whatsoever. There's nothing complicated. It's simple. It's simple street-level Christianity. Level-headed prayers, authentic love, hospitable spirits, and other-centered service. These are disciplines, and yet these disciplines serve as, as lenses that magnify and clarify the greatness and beauty of God and as a result they have a profound impact on our world and in our church too. So let's talk about each of these these lenses, these ways of amplifying and magnifying the greatness of God, clarifying his beauty first with praying clearly. Praying clearly, that's what's behind verse 7. Peter says, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Be self-controlled and sober-minded. Now, what is that? Well, that is the ability to see things for what they really are. You're clear-headed and sensible and awakened and lucid as you're able to see things for what they really are. And so, how are things really? Peter tells us. That's the first part of verse 7. Peter says, I'll tell you how things really are. The end 
of all things is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. What's that? Well, Peter is referring to the next major event in salvation history. It's an event that is mentioned all throughout the New Testament. It's an event called the day. The day. Now let me back up for just a moment. Let me back up because I want to explain to you kind of the, the, the story or the narrative of the Bible. All right? It's a narrative or it's a story of, you know, four major parts. Creation, fall, rest, uh, re, uh, <clears throat> redemption. <laughs> rest, did I say that right, sweetheart? Thank you. Creation, she wrote, she wrote my sermon. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Not that sermon. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That's the four. You better say that with me. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That's the storyline of the Bible. Creation. Our creator God fashioned all that we see, including you and me, human life, Uh, We are the pinnacle of God's creation and God has commissioned us to rule creation and to multiply and to fill the earth. Creation for his glory to represent him. God created us to represent him. Creation. Fall. Yet in our rebellion we chose, we chose to be gods instead of worship the one true God. See, that's why things are broken. That's why a relationship with him is broken and our relationships with one another. What's wrong with this world? It's broken. Everybody can see that. Why is it broken? It's broken because everybody wants to be God. There can only be one God. And, uh, and that affects institutions and it affects how uh, it affects the environment there's nothing that goes untouched in terms of our brokenness and fallenness creation fall redemption yet god in his love and in his mercy sent his son his his only son to be punished for us to receive the justice that was due to us for our rebellion. And in his death and burial and resurrection and ascension and enthronement and in the sending of his Holy Spirit upon his people, we are now to be a community of redemption, a community of atonement as we continue reaching the world for him, creation, Fall, redemption, restoration. That's what Peter is alluding to here in the beginning of verse 7. The next major event in salvation history. There will come a day when Christ will interrupt this world and usher in the new heavens and the new earth. Christ will return. He will destroy evil. And we will be together with him forever it's our destiny there's life beyond this life and that's gospel news that's good news 
Look around, we're worshiping together. This is not gonna be the only time we're worshiping together. There's gonna come a day when in the new heavens and the new earth with new bodies, we will worship and serve him together. That's our destiny. And we will see those who've gone before us. And what a day that will be as we worship with our brothers and sisters. Uh, I'm thinking of Sister Stephanie and Sister Nani and Sister Sherry. I'm thinking of Brother Gordon and, and Brother Caleb and Brother Brent. Our destiny is to be together with him. That's the way things really are, Peter says. Therefore, Therefore, with a sober, sane mind, we pray. We don't pray as those who have no hope. We don't pray fretting and worried and frantic as if life is out of control. We pray trusting God will blanket us with his peace. Later on in 1 Peter, Peter says, cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. And because Christ is coming again at any time, we don't go up on a mountaintop and pick daisies and drink chamomile tea. We don't seclude ourselves from the world. We engage our world. We bring our chamomile tea down to the world and share it with them. It's not a call for desperate measures. It's a call for ordinary, consistent, level-headed, self-controlled, sober-minded, Seeing life as it really is, faithfulness. That's what magnifies Christ. That's what clarifies his beauty. See? And what does that look like in a specific way? Well, keep reading. Peter tells us. We are to pray clearly. And verse 8 says we are to love earnestly. Love earnestly. Verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly because love covers over a multitude of sins. So Peter's concern is not that the church perish from outside persecution. You know what Peter's concern is? That the church decay from within due to a lack of love. You think about what happens when love is lacking in our relationships. When, When love is lacking, we hold grudges, don't we? When love is lacking, we don't give each other the benefit of a doubt, do we? When love is lacking, we assume the worst of another person. When love is lacking, we nurse past hurts. When love is lacking, we get snagged on petty offenses. When love is lacking, we turn infractions into felonies. And when love is lacking, when love is lacking, we commit emotional blackmail. And quite frankly, that happens in the church. Emotional blackmail, you know what I mean, don't you? Emotional blackmail happens when a person equates his or her emotional pain with another person's failure to love, and they're not necessarily the same. You know, a person may love well, and the beloved still feel hurt, and then use that hurt to blackmail the lover into admitting guilt he or she does not have. Emotional blackmail says, well, if I feel hurt by you, then that must mean you're guilty. (laughs) Well, there's no defense for that, is there? Because at that very point, the hurt person becomes God. His emotion has become judge and jury, and truth doesn't matter. Is there love lacking in your life towards someone? Is there? 
And can I just quickly say this about, about all this, all in? As far as our all-in initiative goes, brothers and sisters, God wants you to give your love before he wants you to give your money. Just give him your love. Give him your love. Our scripture says, love one another earnestly. Earnestly. That's a great word. It's, there's a word picture behind earnestly. It, it's a word picture of elasticity. How elastic is your love? How, how much give does your love have? How, how much stretch is in your love? Huh? Because you see, when love is elastic, we're able to put up with our differences, Right? When love is elastic, there's going to be warmth. When love is elastic, then, you know, it's more than just sentimental. It's behavioral. 1 Corinthians 13 says love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous, conceited, or proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It keeps no record of wrongs. It's behavioral. And love is the solution to whatever problem or conflict you're feeling with another. And all too often we assume that we have to feel at peace with someone in order to show love to someone. And that's just not true. Actually, it's just the opposite. Love is how we overlook someone's offense to arrive at peace. Love. Now, I love my wife. She's easy to love. She's lovely. She's lovable. She's loving. That I love my wife says much about my wife. And all this is true. But it's not Christianity. See, Christianity is not Randy loves Sarah. Christianity is Sarah loves Randy. See, Christianity is about the lovely who loves the unlovely. Christianity says more about the lover than the beloved. And God so loved the world. Christianity is about God loving the unlovely. And now that God's Holy Spirit lives in our hearts... He wants us to love the way he does. And when you love someone, listen, I can preach the best sermon ever, but if there's not love here, let's go to La Peep. (laughs) Right? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how, does does not matter. When there's no love, there's there's no connection. However, you know, I can come to the pulpit not as prepared as I'd like to be and you know, drone on and on and on and on and on. But if there's love, wow, love covers over a multitude of sins, including a long sermon. <laughs> See? Does that make sense? That's what Peter's trying to tell us. So how much stretch is in your love? When you love someone, their offenses cease to loiter 
in your heart. Pray clearly. Love earnestly. And then Peter says, welcome cheerfully. Welcome cheerfully. That's verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Without grumbling. Now, there's a corporate application to this as far as our church family goes. And then there's an individual application to this as well. Let's talk about the corporate application first. Showing hospitality touches on the, the kind of environment that we want to create for, for our guests here at Windsor Road. And, you know, I don't know if you know this or not, but every Sunday... People walk into our campus and they determine whether or not they're going to return the following week before the preacher ever opens his mouth. In other words, what I'm saying is that the sermon begins in the parking lot. And, 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 and that may not be fair, but that's the way things really are. And so our environment matters. And that's why I'm excited about these campus improvements. I'm excited about the the dedicated, secure children's ministry wing and the the revitalized student ministry space and and the connection and hospitality space that we have prepared. And, And I'm happy to answer a very common question that I've received about uh, the campus improvements portion of all in. And the question is this, Randy, do we really need this? Really? And I'll just give you the same answer that I gave 12 years ago as we were praying through building this edition. And here it is. Probably not if it's just for us. If it's just for church people, no. Because see, church people will tolerate and overlook environment. On the other hand, when we start casting a vision about stretching our love in order to reach the unchurched or the de-churched, in order to reach folks who have not had any church background or who've had a negative church background, then our environment takes on a fresh new meaning. And we don't want to just settle for any environment. We want an irresistible environment. And so, and so because our community is so clearly concerned about children what does an irresistible ministry environment for children look like and how can we create a family life ministry environment that's magnetic one that where children hate to leave one where children drag their parents to church what makes for an irresistible ministry environment for students How can we make our worship services and connection and community spaces in our facility be irresistible? How can we make this place irresistible? And how can we show hospitality to our guests? That is a corporate application for us to consider. But then there's an individual application You see, in Peter's day, Christians wouldn't have been able to worship together at all had it not been for the hospitality of believers who opened their homes up for worship services or fellowship or or let's say a Christian missionary or a a Christian leader or an apostle were traveling into town and they would need food and lodging. And and so Peter says, listen, if a traveling missionary, if if an apostle, if the apostle Paul shows up, 
you know, don't say, well, how long is the Apostle Paul going to stay in my house? Why do I always get stuck with him? That's a no-no. Hospitality is about saying, you know, come to my home and make yourself at home. I want you to feel relaxed. I want you to be at ease here. And listen, in our, you know, cocooned society, in our you know, right to privacy society, in our culture, open hospitality is a powerful way Christians can share Christ with folks in their neighborhood. Um, there's a wonderful book called The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. And the author is Rosaria Butterfield, who tells of her conversion to Christ. And I love how she puts it. She says, conversion is too tame and too refined a word to capture the train wreck that happened to my life when I met the living God. Rosaria was a tenured professor at Syracuse University who attended a Unitarian Universalist church with her lesbian partner. And she felt that, uh, you know, the only Christians she knew were intellectually impaired until she met a wonderful, warm Christian couple, husband and wife, Ken and Floyd. Ken and Floyd. And this is what Rosaria had to say about Ken and Floyd. She said, their God was alive and three-dimensional and wise and firm. And Ken and Floyd were anything but intellectually impaired. And Ken and Floyd did something that has a long Christian history. They invited me, a stranger, to their home for a meal. And they did so not to scapegoat me, but to listen and to dialogue and to learn. And they were willing to walk the long journey to me in Christian compassion. And that journey began with a simple meal. She wrote, Before I ever stepped foot in a church, I spent two years meeting with Ken and Floyd, off and on studying the scriptures, asking questions. And, and Ken and Floyd knew at that time that you know, I couldn't come to church. It would just would have been too threatening, too weird, too much. And so Ken and Floyd, they brought the church to me. Wow. That's what Peter's talking about here. Showing hospitality, praying clearly, loving earnestly, welcoming cheerfully, and then serving, serving selflessly. That's what we see in verses 10 and 11. If you're a Christian, God, through his Holy Spirit, has given you a gift, a grace, and he expects you to use that grace to serve as his representative. Verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. You're a steward, you see. You're not the owner of that gift. 
You're the steward, the manager of that gift. Someone else owns that gift. It's God. And we're to steward it. And so, and Peter, Peter briefly just categorizes all of the gifts into just two major types for his purposes in these verses. He talks about speaking gifts and he talks about action gifts. And and the speaking could be teaching, it could be preaching, but it could also be one-on-one. It also could be comforting, encouraging, counseling. Peter says, however you speak, you weigh your words, speaking as if God himself were speaking. He uses the phrase, the very oracles of God. And then he mentions non-speaking, non-verbal, action gifts. He says, when you serve, when you act in this way, you do so with the very strength that God supplies. Isn't that interesting? Speak as if God himself were speaking. Serve with the strength God himself supplies. And the implication is that it's possible to speak as if I'm just speaking. It's possible to serve in my own strength and not in God's. We're not to do that. We, we don't serve. We don't serve because it makes us feel good about being up front. We don't serve because it's about us. We don't serve because the church is our canvas and we're artists who just need to express ourselves. No. We serve because we're the brush and God is the divine artist. We serve because we're an agent of his grace. And we serve because we want his one-way love to flow from his throne through our lives to a world in need of grace. Grace. His varied grace. Grace is unconditional acceptance given to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. Grace, it's one-way love. And one of the myths that we should expose is the myth that one can only serve God in a church-sanctioned program. And that's why I'm so proud of so many of you who are using your, your graces that God has entrusted in your lives, using your gifts and talents throughout our community, mentoring students in our schools, and showing mercy to those in hospice, and teaching life skills and money management and serving the under-resourced. And, you know, we've included an insert in our bulletin that's called Find Your Fit. And this is just a brief tool to get you thinking about how has God wired you to be a distributor of his grace. And so, you know, look through this and maybe one of these types connect with you and we'd be happy to help you find a place either inside this church or outside this church so that you can share God's grace, his one-way love with others. Think about it. What if our church became an army of ministers what if, what if God changed us from, a, from being a crowd of attenders into a brigade of servants? What if, what if we put into play the gifts God has given and use those gifts to infect and infiltrate every nook and cranny 
of our Champaign-Urbana culture. Business, the arts, education, the home front, the university, healthcare, technology, our school districts. And what if because of, of this brigade of servants in our community, that our community clearly saw that Christianity was anything but intellectually impaired? And what if we became a brigade of servants who gathered every Sunday to celebrate what God had been doing supernaturally over the last seven days in this dark, crooked, broken world. And what if, as a result of going all in, we were so busy praying and loving and welcoming and serving and feeding and building and healing and sharing and counseling and comforting that we just forgot ourselves and became so focused and absorbed in being Jesus to our world that suddenly, in the midst of doing that, we suddenly heard a trumpet call. And a shout, and we lifted our eyes to the hills, and there he was, our king. And the day was upon us. My goodness. Put your second coming charts away. Pick up a towel and a basin and get on your knees and serve. Sir, even when you feel unfairly treated, even when you're feeling persecuted, even when you feel hurt, even when you suffer, because that's when God's power and God's strength are at their finest. Often it's when we're hurting and when we're weak, that's when God's, that's when we best amplify and magnify and clarify the greatness and glory and beauty and power of God. Church family, Christ is coming, okay? So pray, love, and welcome, and serve. That's our ministry. And why? Verse 11. In order that in everything, God may be glorified. Through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen? Amen. All right. One more thing. Um, Have you ever been to the Drake in Chicago? Well, let me tell you about the Drake. A couple of summers ago, uh, Sarah and I went to the Drake. It is this really posh hotel in downtown Chicago. I mean, it is absolutely beautiful. And, and I mean, and it is fantastic and very ritzy. The, the kind of hotel a pastor really doesn't want to be talking about when we're doing a generosity initiative. But <laughs> I didn't think about that. Um, well, I should tell you the story anyway, because I got on Priceline, and I got a good deal, 99 bucks for a Thursday night at the Drake, and so we went. Man, it was just wonderful. You know what I liked most about our room? It had two bathrooms. (laughs) 
I thought the king had come. Wow, it was great. So we get uh, situated in our rooms and everything. And uh, well, they had some information in our room about the history of this grand, fine hotel. Did you know that in 1959, the Queen of England came to Chicago and stayed at the Drake? No fake. Really? She came. And I guess there was a big fuss all over town about getting ready for the queen. And, you know, Chicago got all dressed up for her royal highness and all that. Reporters started contacting businesses in the community about how they were getting ready for the queen's arrival. And then they contacted the manager of the Drake. And the reporter asked the manager of the Drake Hotel, well... Are you making any special arrangements for the arrival of a queen? And the manager of the hotel said, Nope. (laughs) And then he said this. Our rooms are always ready for royalty. Royalty. 